Welcome to NP's Changing Practice. I'm Carol Berger. Hi, I'm Nina Zimmerman. Today we've got a wonderful guest, my daughter. Of course, I think she's wonderful, right? Uh, Christy Grau. And uh, she is here to, she's got a master's degree in teaching. And she's here today for us to talk a little bit about um, how we learn specifically uh, how stories play into our learning and why stories are so important. Um, And what's the best ways to study? What's the best ways to check knowledge? Um, So kind of both to the student and to the instructor, how can we, uh, how can we retain all this information? Because, you know, Nina, you and I have talked a lot of times, students a lot of times feel like they have to memorize the book. Yep. I get emails and contacts about that all the time. And they don't know how should I get this memorize. book into my head. And then how am I supposed yeah. to call a book of knowledge? And, and that's right. what you're going to help us with, Chrissy. So tell us a little bit about your background and education and why you're so passionate about it. And how, um, how, how do we learn? Um, Well, those are some pretty big questions. Um, As far as my background goes, I got interested in education um, after having some siblings that uh, had difficulty in the school system because they learned a little differently. Uh I became passionate about studying and learning how we learn Mm -hmm. and um, just the psychology behind human learning. Uh, I ended up getting a undergraduate degree in early childhood education uh, with an emphasis in like Reggio Emilia uh, and how young children learn. And then I went on for my master's in education and innovation, focusing on learners of all ages. That's great. This is really an important, important guest. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, was we talk a lot about um, storytelling and why is storytelling so important for learning? How does that feed into to us rather than traditional lecture when we tell stories or in our case we're telling case studies a lot of times why do those stick uh well lecture by itself is one of the most ineffective ways of learning and the reason is because we tend to tune it out Um, your brain only has so much working memory and it can only learn about five new things at a time uh, so in a lecture, when you're not motivated and engaged, um, or you're just trying, you're trying really hard to pay attention, but it's so much, you just can't hold on to it all. Um, one way that our brains are actually wired to learn is through story. And it's in our DNA. We actually relate to it better. We retain it better. And it, if you think about it from the times when we didn't have books, that is how we've learned in the past. That's how we have stories that are thousands of years old because they were told around one campfire and another and another and another. Um, so when we do it through a story, it, it re- it's relatable mm-hmm. and motivating. And we want to find out what happens next. Um, and right. it can really increase that ret- retention rate. And so one of the things I hear from students a lot of times, and I, I hear from instructors occasionally too, is that they don't understand why the students don't want to, to look up the things themselves or learn. Um, they just want it fed to them or they feel like they have um, too much information. And I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, why, um, well, how can we help them with, right. you know, because uh, we, I know that students want to learn. They're motivated as NP students to learn. They don't want to cheat. Um, I know they, there is cheating that goes on, um, but, but they really, I think from my perspective, it is more because there's so much information right. that they're trying to stay alive, so to speak, you know, yeah, and I, they don't know yeah, what I, to do. 
Right, right. I agree with you, Carol. I have students frequently email me or want to talk to me and say, well, this is too much information. I'm not doing well on the test. Um, what am I supposed to study? You know, what am I supposed to do? And it's really important to give them good direction. And it is huge. It's, it's I mean, if you look at the pathophysiology book alone, um, yes, they've heard it before, but they've never applied it as a provider. So right. when we think of a master's degree education, like when you went on for master's, you were learning new things, but you had a really solid basis in education, right? right? Application. Well, just because right. we have a basis in nursing does not prepare us to think like a provider. It does not, well, it inhibits us in some ways. Right. And there's even providers, there's even nurse practitioners that come back. So let's say they've been in practice for five or 10 or how many years, and they're so set in how they practice, whatever specialty, and they come back for their post-masters. There's also a lot of students that say, look, I'm a nurse practitioner already. I've been practicing for X amount of years. And now, you know, I'm in these classes and I'm not doing well. And I don't understand why, what, what am I, what, what information can you tell me to learn so I can do okay on the tests? Right. So again, common situation that our students uh, have, and it's um, obviously very stressful for them. They're, you know, investing a lot of money. Um, you know, it, it psychologically, um, you know, defeats them and increases more test anxiety because they know those next tests, they got to do really well. And so again, so important to discuss this. So yeah, what's some ideas? Um, so I'm hearing a lot about stress and overwhelm and, and having large amounts of information to try to digest and understand it. I'm in a lot of anxiety around high stakes testings and things like that. Um, first off, stress and anxiety are counter-inducive to learning. When you have so much cortisol going through your body, your amygdala is what is in control. And that prefrontal cortex where you learn and your hippocampus is, is inaccessible. So it's important to... Yes, you know, it's, it, we, we have to hold students accountable for learning large amounts of information, but as much as we can minimize the testing yeah. and the high stakes situations, the better, because that's bringing that stress level down to a more manageable level. Um, as far as managing the learning of large amounts of information at once, one of the big differences between an expert learner and a novice learner is that the expert can look at that pathophysiology book and read it and see all of the connections between all of the key concepts that are in there. Whereas a novice learner just sees all of these scattered facts and information. They're not able to right. see the patterns and connections yet. Right. So as I, I Okay. I see that. I do see that. And, and um, you know, if, if they don't see the connections, even though they're been a nurse for a long time, right. you know, or they're, they're an ICU nurse and they're starting to be an adult gero, um, acute care nurse, they think that this is going to be easy and it's totally different. And if yeah. you get set in your practice, like there is research to actually say the nurses that come in have only had less than, you know, three years of nursing experience do better because they're, they, they're ready to learn more information. They've just gotten out of school. They've started to practice, but 
when you have been practicing in a job or in in situations for a long time, you're kind of on autopilot because you just kind of know the patterns and you know what you're doing and and you you know hopefully you're learning more information and getting uh, going to conferences and stuff, but you already know how to put the pieces together. And if you learn something more, you know how to reconfigure and put the pieces together. So what you're saying is so important for our listeners. So we've been talking recently about this model and I love it. You know, you're going to love this and students, this is really important because like, like you were saying, you know, as a nurse, you are not taught to teach, to think like a provider because that goes outside of your scope of practice. So you're actually taught to stop thinking at a certain point. You haven't been exposed to this new way of thinking. So now we have to acquire knowledge that might be familiar because pathophysiology doesn't change. And that was brought up in our meeting the other day. You're right. It doesn't change, but we've never thought about it as a systems approach or how it affects pathophysiology in the disease state and how to fix it. That's all new. That's That's all new. We have to acquire and make those connections. So first we have to acquire it. Then we have to connect it. And then we have to transfer it from a simple, maybe familiar situation to a complex, oh my gosh, I've got a patient. Like I always tell students and they always laugh. I said, look, by the time you get out of this course, you will know how to treat strep throat. I promise you. And you'll feel very comfortable with that and urinary tract infections and colds and all of that. The hard part is when you've got the diabetic patient who's got congestive heart failure with chronic kidney disease and 25 medications that could interact and they've come in and oh, by the way, they're on Coumadin. That's the person that all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, it's going to take me eight hours just to figure this person out. And so how do we do this acquire, connect and transfer for our students? How do we help them with that? Uh, So you're talking about the ACT model of learning, which is something we've been uh, digging deep into at work for creating our curriculum for next year. Um, And it's three steps for learning and it can be applied to any any content that you're trying to teach. And the first step is where you acquire. So this might be where um, you're getting facts and you're learning separate concepts. So from the teacher standpoint, your role would be to identify what are the just one word, two word, big overall concepts that you're wanting them to understand. In an English class, it might be communication. Um, In a... In pathophysiology, it might be cellular health. Um, But you want to identify those key concepts and pick two or three of them that are the major concepts that you want to teach, and you want to teach those explicitly. Um, Here is where that multiple choice test at the end, small quizzes. um, Micro learning. We've been micro learning. uh, Mini lessons are going to help a lot. Um, The next stage is connect. So this is where you want to help your learners make connections between those key concepts and connect that information. And you want to really call that out. Um, You can ask questions like, how does communication um, affect uh, a conflict? So if you're teaching those two big concepts, communication and conflict, you really want to ask the students to, to, to detail out how they are connected and to dig into that. And then transfer, you start with a similar situation, and then you want to move to something completely different or outside of it and see if they can apply those same concepts in the completely new situation. And that's how you know that they really have learned it. So from the teaching standpoint, it's a matter of really breaking down what are the big takeaways that I want them to learn. And then, yes, you do 
you explicitly want to teach that because a big textbook full of information is going to be overwhelming. But when we break it down into micro chunks, into micro lessons, into specific big universal relatable concepts, we help them create the file folders that they need in their brain and the connections between those file folders so they can get to the expert learner and recognize the patterns in what they're learning. Um, right. And from studying or a student standpoint, they can do that too. In their studying, they, they start with, okay, what is the main idea here? What are the big key concepts? How do they connect to each other? Um, and in that connect phase and even acquire, don't forget that we, we remember that young children need to play and interact in order to learn. And they are at a conceptual learning space. But then we hit around eight or nine and you can start to think abstractly. So by the time you're an adult, we think abstractly is the only way we should learn. But it's actually really effective to, to play, to build, to make something with what you're learning. Because it, a lecture is ineffective because you're not meaningfully engaging with it. So if you're learning mm -hmm. about the heart system, build it with Play-Doh. Write a song about it. Um, come up with a, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Um, draw it on a piece of paper or paint it, um, do something with it that will help you remember it. Uh, be able to explain it simply. It, imagine you're explaining it to a five-year-old uh, and trying mm -hmm. to get them to understand. That brings me to a point. When I so used important. to teach patho, I used to have one lesson where I had them try to explain a process, you know, congestive heart failure to a patient and do it in simple, easy to use uh, words because I don't want the textbook to be written back to me because to me uh, if you can explain something simply you can then you know the concept but if you can't you don't know it you have to go back to the book and still read about it because you don't know it enough right. to explain it simply so being able to break it down into the language a patient can understand is a very powerful right. tool in teaching um, and I think we forget that because we want all those big words to know they understand those heavy concepts. But the truth is, if they can't break it down, they don't understand it well enough yet. Right, right. I think that's really important, too. I also think that when I tell my students to study is, yeah, I want you to read the book and I want you to listen to my lectures. But the case study exercises that we have and then I have like a, a study guide, so to speak. I don't give them the answers, but I just tell them again, what's, how do you learn best? Or what, you know, do you learn best by listening? If that happens, then you should record your study guide. If it, it's really important to write out things that you want to learn with, you know, mnemonics or however you want to do to actively engage how you're learning instead of just reading the textbook, learning facts. It doesn't work that way um, for, you know, and for this kind of learning. I think, Nina, too, they, they have to connect it to the patient to start right. making these connections. And one of the, the challenges I run into is if we're teaching one of the core courses, they don't want it to overlap with information from clinical courses. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know. How do you separate? How do you, you separate can't. that? You can't. I mean, you and you're learning. Story. Yeah, you can't. And hopefully in clinical, they in our curriculum, they take they do, you know, um, uh, for the advanced classes, they do didactic and then they do clinical. So the hope is that when you're in clinical, it's helping you piece together what you're learning in the classroom, right? So, you know, let's say you're studying about asthma, right? And you're like, God, there's all these drugs. Okay, well, that's not the point. The point is that what severity is the asthma? What is your patient telling you when they come in? 
what is their current meds? What can you do? And, and the importance of education and, you know, and planning with that. How does that it patient. interact with all the other pathophysiology? How does it interact with everything else? So just learning, you know, asthma is this, and this is the drugs that, no, you got to go beyond that. And so in clinical, we hope that that happens to help them really apply and understand. But, they but in our courses, along, all the way through, they, they have, have to, to be at doing application. If they don't do application learning, mm -hmm. yeah, they don't do application learning. Our tests are, um, you know, even if they're objective, they're application questions, or I do a lot of short answers because I want them to put pieces together in a short case to see how they're thinking and what they, how they respond. Right. Um, So just learning facts isn't going to do them. I mean, you have to know the stuff, but you have to know how all the pieces fit in a complex situation. What do you think about that MedMinder? I showed you that game. We have a lot of games on our website and I love gaming because even like you said, adults can play. And in uh, the MedMaster, MedMaster game that we, mm-hmm. we created, the first thing they do, and we did it with, um, wasn't it diabetic drugs? I think mm-hmm. it is, diabetic drugs. So we, and we can do it with other, we're going to be doing it with other drugs too. But they first have to separate the pots because one of the challenges for NV students is trying to figure out what category these drugs all go into. And they all sound very similar with different suffixes. So we have them play this game where they separate them into their pots. Then they determine what their mechanism of action is and what their side effects are. And finally, which one would you pick for the patient? Which one, which would, one you would you pick for the patient for this patient with this issue? You know, because then they have to pull in that back knowledge and say, oh, wait a minute, that person has kidney failure. Probably this isn't the right one or you yeah. know, whatever. And that's making that connect. What do you think about that kind of learning? There is a lot of research and study to support gamification and game, learning through gaming for multiple subjects and multiple age groups, including adults. Um, it, it's that doing something with what you're learning. Just reading a book and just listening to a lecture is the first step of learning. You, yes. can't, you can't just keep doing that. You can't avoid that. Yeah. Keep doing that. But you do it first. But yeah, if you keep doing that, you're not learning. You're, you're just reviewing it. It's not learning. You have to actively construct knowledge. You have to do something with that material in order to learn it. Um, that's why oftentimes you have a unit where you, you read a book, you do lecture, and then you do a multiple choice test, and then you move on. That You never got past the acquire stage of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you never made connections. And that's why the retain, retention rate, you know, if you were to give that test again a week later, two weeks later, a month later, it's going to dramas- drastically, their scores are going to go down because they weren't able to retain that information because you never got past acquire. Doing things like games, case studies, um, mm-hmm. creating a model, um, teaching a lesson about it. I love the infographics you've told me about you using. Yes, yes. Um, where they're creating a visual image with only a few words, looking through videos, finding videos. So they're, they're hearing stories when they look through those videos and picking one that tells the story of that. In the right time frame because they can't make it to, I mean, they have to listen to hundreds probably to find the right one. But yeah, you know, I used to always think, and I learned that because when um, I made a commercial one time and making a commercial is much harder than people think because you want to get your product and everything that you do out there, right? But you have to pick certain keywords, certain visuals, and you have to use words and, and visuals rather than chunks of information and, um, you know, to get your point across. And that's what the infographic does. They really have to pick the, the specific things that will relay the story the way they want it relayed. And that requires thinking and research. And that connects 
um, that I think that's the connect, not the transfer of knowledge. That would be more connecting uh, the pieces. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, Nina, we're trying to help them begin to start seeing patterns. Um, the one thing I do tell my nurses, though, is I, I like to stress you are a nurse. So that does mean you come with a bucket of knowledge. Yes. You know, you, you don't have to learn all the medical vocabulary. You don't need to know what all the diseases are. You, you have a big base of knowledge. You just haven't applied it in this way yet. So you, in a different way. Yeah. They mm-hmm. catch up faster than I think medical students, because medical students for the first four years, they're just in science classes. And then they right. have to learn all of that in the, their medical education, which is really, uh, you know, a big task. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do have a heads up in some of the areas but but it's not the smooth transition they think so you know what what parting words of advice can you give to our students who are struggling who are overwhelmed yeah what are, um, yeah. What, what are some good study about? tips for this type of learning there was something that you just said about background knowledge activating your background knowledge is super critical super important we don't always activate that before we learn simple exercises like if you're getting ready to read a chapter of a book do a brain jot, a uh, free write of writing, just look at the title and write everything you know about that topic and then read the book and then go back and write what you learned. Highlight while you're reading, uh, take notes while you're reading, actively engage in the material and activate that background knowledge. Um, as far as study, study habits go, um, short, intense study sessions with minimal distractions when you all of your basic needs have been met, you are not hungry, you are not tired, um, over spread out over a, a larger period of time are much more effective than long late night cram sessions. Um, so engaging people, to, you know, find somebody to watch the kids, schedule your time to study, you know, every day from this hour to this hour, or this half hour every day, I'm going to study instead of big, huge cram sessions. Um, if you have a partner, you have a grandma or grandpa, they're usually willing to take the kids for 30 minutes. Um, have a high protein snack beforehand, bring your bottle of water, um, and have an objective for that study session so that you are able to just intensely focus on that, that objective. Okay. I'm going to read this chapter today, take notes tomorrow. I'm going to do something with my, with my notes. I'm going to build something, create something or write a song. Um, do something with that material. I'm going to write a case study or a story. Well, you know, that that brings me as this. Uh, Last semester, I tried doing a blank case study and I gave it to my students in pharmacology. And I said, look, you need to learn these drugs. And the best way for you to learn these drugs is to develop case studies yourself, engaging different, create the person that this drug would be the best for and make the complications like kidney failure or, you know, um, they need to lose weight or whatever, you know, you want to do to try to, you know, they have congestive heart failure and put the complications in there to create your own objectives and rationales as to why that drug that you have is the correct answer is. And I said, you'll learn it better that way. And I got several students who emailed me and thanked me for that as a study. What what do you think? Um, You know, making them make the case studies. Uh, Yes. Uh, Doing things like that is definitely going to help you get to that understanding. And when you're, when you're focusing on boards, when you're focusing on a big test, that's the majority of your grade, because those are situations that are just currently how it is. And as many of us want to change that, it hasn't happened yet. We have these big tests we have to take. 
Don't focus on, I need to pass the test. I need to pass the test. I need to pass the test. Focus on, I need to understand the material. If I deeply understand the material, I will pass the test. It's not about memorizing. It's about understanding. If you don't understand the material, reach out to your teacher, reach out to resources at the school, look for multiple ways to learn. Think about who you are as a learner, what's worked for you in the past, what, what works for you. Work for you. Yeah. Be that expert learner who understands how you learn best. Reach out to a classmate. Maybe they can explain it in a way that the teacher didn't, and all of a sudden it will click. Okay. Uh, but if you understand the material, you will pass the test. What about, um, you know, there's adult learners that have learning disabilities, right? And something, um, they may think they have it and they haven't been evaluated or they have been diagnosed with it, but they just are like, oh, I'm, I'm fine. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to tell anybody or discuss, you know, um, an accommodation. What, what would you say to that student? So often because of the stigma that surrounds that, and that's something I'm really trying to change. I have a son who has autism, um, people close to me who have dyslexia or ADHD. Mm -hmm. And there's this stigma that accommodations are cheating, that accommodations are making it to where it's not fair. Um, but accommodations are leveling the playing field. Mm -hmm. um, timed tests put stress and anxiety that makes you more likely to not do well, whether you have a disability or not. But definitely if you have a disability and you have a history of test anxiety and a history of bad experience with tests. So reach out to your college. They have accommodation centers. They can give you more time. They can give you a different environment to take the test so that it would minimize distractions. Um, they can give you an audio test where you, it's read to you instead of you reading it. And it is not cheating. It is leveling the playing field. It is, right. it is doing mm -hmm. what you need for you. It is being that expert learner. And when you do that, you're not only helping yourself, but you are helping break down those stigmas and you are helping the other people in the room that aren't ready to speak up yet. Yes. Uh, those accommodations need to become commonplace, you know, choose your own scaffold. I really look forward to that being the way that schools run and the classrooms run. That's right. There's four or five different options for how you can take in the information and how you can show that information and you choose what works for you. Each one, you're still learning the same stuff. You're still get, um, demonstrating your understanding. Nothing is easier. It's just in a way that works with the way you learn, which we all learn differently. Yes, we do. We absolutely do. And I just think it's important. I know there's stigmas out there and I know, um, um, I know that there's some fear of, of, you know, or, you know, the branding, or like you said, they think that it's, they feel like they're cheating or they're, you know, they have, they're being treated more special. And they don't want to be, but it's so important to address those, those things um, or get them assessed. If you think you have a learning disability, it's just, it's just critical. It's absolutely critical to your learning. Um, the other important thing you said was you have to do those small, I, I can't stress that enough, those small periods of studying. If you say, I'm going to study for this test one night for four hours, it's, it's, you know, it's not going to, it's not productive. It just isn't. Well, after it's while, you just, meaningful. Like you yeah, said, it's not meaningful. It, the things are not going to stick understanding. I mean, I, I um, learn better auditory. Uh, I'm an auditory learner. I have to read it and, and um, I have to apply it. And then it's really important for me to listen to things, to understand concepts before I apply them. I know that about myself. So I do a lot of, uh, when I study for something, I record things. And I also write out quote unquote, study guide, 
like the key information so that when I'm writing it, I understand it better. That has helped a lot of students too. It takes work, but you know, you can't just, you can't just um, read something and think that that's the only thing you have to do. You really have to spend some time applying. I also think it helps for students too, is to, um, uh, and it's also to prepare for boards is to have some kind of review book um, uh, because those review books do like a micro learning. A lot of them, like Fitzgerald, they you just read a little bit of information. You take um, you, you do the questions, and then there's rationale for the answers. And so you can kind of understand. Oh, I you know that part of the you know I know um, um, hypertensive drugs, but I really have to review um, hypertensive crisis or urgency and apply you know some different things of how to how I pick the drugs that I pick. It'll, it'll help you identify and review the information in very small parts. So I think that helps too. And once you identify those areas that you need to work on, that's when you want to kind of think out of the box of now, what can I do with it? What can I do? Yeah. Understand it and remember it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much so. Yeah. And I, I think we, you know, we're ending on a really good note here, ladies. You know, each person knows their own way of learning and their style. And teachers, I think, are becoming more sensitive to different learners, especially our younger ones who maybe didn't do the pencil and paper that we did forever and ever and ever. Now they text and they have a lot of interactions with, um, you know, touching things. So, so making interactive PowerPoints, micro learning, infographics, gaming, um, creating your own case studies, all of these are effective ways. But the most important thing we've talked about here, I think, is you have to come to understand the material. Understanding it. And make the connections. Yeah, you, you have, have to be able to apply it. New, those new pots of knowledge and see the, what did you call it? See the um, connections. See the, the connections, the patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the patterns. So you've got you've to see the patterns. And once you can see the patterns, you're going to start becoming more of a, uh, an NP versus a nurse. You're going to mm-hmm. see the patterns of diagnosis, see the patterns of differentials. Well, and remember, you're an expert nurse. You're a novice NP. Right. And yep. it takes time to go from a novice NP to an expert NP and to make, recognize all of those patterns and look at it in that new way. The more you can connect it to, oh, I had a patient who had this same situation. Now I understand why the doctor prescribed what they did, or now I understand why they prescribed what they did and it didn't work as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and connecting it to that background knowledge, those background experiences, and then breaking it down and applying it to those. Right. Yeah, you're right. And the file system is kind of small, and we need to get that file yeah. system built, you know, in their brain of all those cases. And also, if you're already an NP, you know, uh, if you're already an NP and you're coming back for a different specialty, um, you know, you can apply what you learn, but if it's a different specialty, it's a whole different way of a different information and different way of applying it, right? If you're in acute care setting and going back into primary care, that's very different. Or it's a very different way. Yeah. Yeah. Or vice versa. You're primary care and you're going back and you're going into acute care. I mean, it's a different way of thinking. You know, all of your psych. Yeah. If you go to go from primary care to psych, I mean, that's a totally different ballgame. You have a great basis of knowledge, but you're still going to have to learn the information differently, how you're going to apply it and how you how you're going to practice. This has been so great. 
really reminds me of something I heard a long time ago um, from a specialist in inquiry-based learning. And it's that our brain oftentimes wants to shut down and turn off when we're faced with new information about something we feel like we already know. Oh, I've already heard this before. And we kind of shut down. But if we can switch to be curious and say, I've already heard this before, but I wonder if I can learn something new about it. And to actively look for that and, and be open and be curious, it may not change your mind about what you did. And you might keep doing it the way you did before. You might see the new information is not effective, but if you can be curious and open, you could surprise yourself and learn something new about something you thought you already knew. And now you've got a whole new and better grasp on it. Great, great point. I love that. Well, th- this has been a dynamic Oh my gosh. Session. One of our best Karen, sessions. I want to thank you so much for your expert knowledge because you really do have a wealth of knowledge and your suggestions have helped me plan my lessons. I have, yes. Nina has, I've talked to her uh, multiple times. Oh, Chrissy says I should do this and I should do that. And um, I have multiple modalities of learning and ways to connect it in, in the courses I've taught. So um, I want to thank you for that. Thank you so much. Yeah. You'll make us, you make us better instructors. Oh, and mom, you inspire me every day. Um, you're so uh, that you do, you know, and thank you for giving me this opportunity to just talk about what I love. Um, I really do love the idea of how we learn and how we engage with things. And so thank you both. And for you out there listening, please send us your questions. Tell us what works for you for learning, uh, what you would like to see more of, what doesn't work, what is like, what, what are we doing that you just say, this is just a waste of my time, you know, because we need to see things. Sometimes we think we know all the answers and how to make things better for you. And, and we really don't. We need to, to have your input. So I want to thank you all for listening to NP's Changing Practice. And I look forward to coming again. Uh, I know, uh, Dr. Zimmerman, you're going to be doing the next couple of weeks or so. I am. I am. I am, and I want to make sure you're visiting our website, NPS Changing Practice, NPS Changing Practice. Lots of of case studies, lots of modalities. Send us an email through that website if you'd like and tell us about your learning and we'll talk about it. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again. Thank you. What you're doing. uh, We'll see you again um, on our next session of NPS Changing Practice. Bye.